Before the advent of modern psychiatric testing, uh, a mental patient would have to endure one final test before being released. Uh, this test would prove to be simple but quite revealing. They would take a patient down the corridor, and at the end of the corridor, they would take him and place him in a broom closet. Upon entering the broom closet, they would take a stopper, put it in the sink, and turn the water on. Uh, before leaving the patient in the closet for a few moments alone, they would issue the patient a mop, close the door, and leave the patient for about 15 minutes. Upon their return, if they found the patient still mopping the floor, they would know that the patient wasn't ready to be released yet. You see, after the stopper had been placed, the water would start overflowing, and if that patient was mopping, that patient could mop from now until Jesus comes back, and the job would never be done. And if he didn't have the common sense to identify the root problem, he wasn't ready to be released yet. Jesus, I can only imagine as he walked the city streets, he saw a whole lot of people mopping. Mopping, trying to manage the situation. Mopping, trying to manage their sin, which ultimately leads to moralism, which ultimately leads to legalism, which always leads to self-righteousness. He saw people just mopping floors. Or he just saw failures. People, people who had just given up and they came soaking wet, drenched in their own sin. We, we see it all throughout Scripture. We see these two types of people, this, this two, way of living, two ways of living. We see it in the prodigal son. Uh, the story of the two sons, actually. Uh, the younger son, he's given up. And we see him soaking wet, drenched in his own sin, and he comes back to his father. And upon his return, the elder brother, who had done such a great job of managing, such a great job of keeping his life together, such a great job, he was so moralistic, so self-righteous, at the very sight of seeing his brother drenched in sin and receiving grace, he became angry and frustrated. We see it in the woman caught in adultery. Here, this woman soaking wet, drenching in her own sin. She's standing there, and those self-righteous, the moralistic, the legalistic, those that had managed their sin, those that had figured out how to do it right, they had stones in their hand, ready to stone this woman because of her failure to manage her sin. Jesus always calls these He's calling these two groups of people out consistently throughout the Gospels, and he's offering them a third way of living. He says it's, it's not just two ways. You don't only have two ways to live, but there's a third option. There's a third way. And he says, I am the way. I, I am the way. And he says, I have come to fulfill the law. See, 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 they made accusations. They would tell him, you, you, you've come to do away with the law. He says, no, 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 I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill. The idea here is to expand, to, 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 to expand the scope of inquiry. In our text today, we see that expansion. Jesus is dealing with those who know the law well. And he says, you know that Adultery is wrong. They say, yeah, 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 yeah. But then he expands the law. He, 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 he brings clarity to the law and he says, but if you looked at a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. 
And he exposes the root problem. He exposes the root problem. This morning, I'm going to preach about sex, but I'm not really going to preach about sex. But I really will preach about sex. Because the passage, it's about adultery. But it's not about adultery. But it really is about adultery. Jesus brings up the law. He says, yeah, it's adultery. But it's more than that. The root problem is the heart. This morning, I want to talk about our hearts. And I pray that God would speak to us and challenge us as we take time to look within our hearts and see what God has to say about what dwells within. The three things about the heart I want to talk about. Uh, Three things need to happen with the heart. The heart has to be exposed. The heart has to be turned. And the heart has to be guarded. The heart has to be exposed. The heart has to be turned. The heart has to be guarded. I should be at guarded at about, in about 18 minutes. Nah, New York didn't do that much for me. About 40 minutes. <laughs> the heart must be exposed. They almost got in the way, didn't they? they? They're sitting there talking to Jesus, and he says, you know the law. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And I could see them, those moppers, those that had done a good job of maintaining their sin, those that had done a good job of cleaning their life up so good that they were self-righteous and look over at other people's lives and say, hey, you need some help because you hadn't figured out how to clean and manage that mess. He looks at them and he says, you, you know the law of adultery. They say, yeah, we sure do. Never did that. See, because they had carved out this narrow understanding of what the law was, and they had made it exclusively this physical act, this physical act. But then he says, but you know, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You see what Jesus does? He, he exposes the sin beneath the sin. See, see, many times we become so consumed with what I would call the, the symptoms of the sin. And we begin to treat the symptoms and we overreact and we respond to the symptoms and we really don't get to the sin beneath the sin, the very core, the very essence of what's really going on in the heart. It's, it's, it's like uh, uh, teenagers having sex or or, or, or homosexuality, or, or, or dating, uh, not, not dating anyone that, that's an unbeliever or anything like that. And, and sure, those are all genuine problems, but if that's where you start the conversation, that's a terrible place to begin. Because nine times out of ten, what we've done many, many times, and I've been guilty of this, is when those issues come up, we just give a mop. Teenage, don't have sex, practice abstinence, and we just give a mop. Homosexuality, no, no, just don't be gay here. Or just date, date only people from your church here. And we just give mops. But if their hearts are self-centered, then they could mop all day. And they'll never manage the waywardness of their heart. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? And we, we respond to the symptoms, but we never get down to the essence of what the root problem is. I went to go visit a friend, and I sat with him for a long time a couple of weeks ago, and hadn't sat down and had a good conversation in a while, and we sat down, and we got to talking about 
uh, our personal lives and personal issues came up and, and pornography got on the table. And he said to me, friends, he says, Albert, pornography is a daily ritual of my life. He said, it's a daily ritual of my life. I said, but I had to check myself because I was about to respond to, to the perversion and to the disgust and to the whole idea. That's just immediately you think, what? How, how sad is that? How wrong that is. And begin to talk and begin to, I was just about to hand him a mop. But I said, you know what? Let me ask a better question. I said, man, what's, what's going on with your marriage? What's, what's, what's happening with, with you and your wife? And he began to tell me. He said, Albert, my wife and I, we haven't been intimate in over 18 months. And as the tears began to stream down my friend's face, he began to talk about how lonely, how isolated, how disconnected, and how desperate he is for intimacy. And in his moment of crisis, instead of turning his affections and setting his affections on God, the only one that can satisfy his soul, the only one that can help him navigate this very trying time in his marriage, the only one that could really help him through this season with his wife, he didn't turn to God. He set his affections on pleasing himself. He set his affections on satisfying his own desires. And instead of satisfying and pleasing God, he sought to please himself. So at the very root of this perverted, regular, ritual, ritualistic act, we find a lonely, desperate man instead of reaching to his savior he reached out to his own pleasure you, you, you see the difference I'll, I'll, I'll talk about me because it's, it's, it's not just sexual sin I'll, 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 the, lay, lay any sin down and you always have to dig into the layers of the heart and expose the heart and get down to the sin to the root, the sin under the sin talking about this, this church as we prepare to plant this church I'll just be honest with you. There have been moments in the last 30 days where I've, I've had paralyzing fear. Paralyzing fear. Not just the, ooh, this is nervous, this is crazy, ooh, this is nervous. No, 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 no. The fear that says, Albert, what are you doing? I'll say that to myself. And then myself will answer back, I don't know. <laughs> you ever have those moments where, where, where everything just seems like, what are you thinking? I just have those moments. And as I dig deep down in those moments, as I get into the core, and as I look at what triggers those moments of paralysis, it's really people's expectations. And that's what it, that's what it really is. I, I, I learned this just the other day because I, I was having this little panic attack. It was, it was mild, you know. I didn't have to go to the hospital or anything, but it was, you know, because I'm usually kind of like the laid-back one. I'm real laid-back, real hard to get me around. I was in the grocery store, and this sent me into a panic attack. And you would think that she said something harsh or, or bad to me. She said, Albert, I heard about your church. I'm so excited. I can't wait to be there. Panic! <laughs> because you know what I thought? What is she excited about? 
And have I thought about that? And what if she comes looking to be excited about that and that ain't there? What am I going to do about that? Because as I dug a little deeper, I don't want, I don't want her to be disappointed. Because if she's disappointed, then she may not like me. She may not like what I do. You see that? And now, my ego is at the center. Because it's about people liking me. And people not leaving. Because if they leave, what does that say about me? It's amazing to me how many great, how many great Christian things I can do for me. Think about that. It's amazing to me how many wonderful, great Christian things I can do for me. Here I am planning a church, which, hey, I don't know about you, but one of the most Christian things you can do, right? Doesn't get any more Christian than that, you know? We're starting a church. And now, the very essence of the church is centered around me. And people liking me. You see the sin in that? So what started as fear is really sin because in my heart, my affections weren't on God and pleasing him. My affections were on people and pleasing them. You, you, you see that? What's, what's in your heart? Where are, you, where are your affections? It's become, a, it's become a daily ritual where I have to make an intentional decision with my heart to say, I will look to you, God, and seek to only please you, God, and not people, not things, not myself, not others. I will set my affections and I will center my heart on you. Because if I don't, then sin is always lurking. But in order for me to see that, I have to expose What's in your heart? Where are your affections this morning? Second thing, heart has to be exposed. And secondly, the heart has to be turned. The heart has to be turned. H how do you know when the heart is turned? Psalm 51 helps us. David helps us with, with two main indicators. I'm sure there are tons more, but these are two that are usually always in the pack. One is brokenness in spirit and contrition of heart. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. Albert, how do I get those? It's only one way. It's by the love of Jesus Christ. You... You have to realize your inability to fix what is broken. You have to realize that all the mopping in the world can never satisfy the longing of your soul. So you have to realize that I can't fix myself. But ah, there's one who can. And his love for me is present and available. And there is one who can do for me what I cannot do for myself. There is one that can save me. See, because you can hear about the love of Jesus all day long, but if you still think that you got the power to fix yourself, you'll never embrace it. You, 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 you'll never feel the joy of brokenness of spirit. See, some of you, your pride and your call is, I've, 
I've, I've been put together all my life. And I'm so put together. And he says, that's your problem. That's the very thing that keeps you from this place of brokenness is your ability to keep you together. Because the sooner you realize that you can't keep yourself together is the sooner you'll experience the flooding of the grace of God in your life, the only one who can satisfy you and keep you together. Story of a young missionary, a guy named Dave, 19 years old, goes to Mozambique um, and they're doing mission work in the bush of Africa. And he's there and his job is to be the sergeant of arms. His job is to kind of make sure everything's in control. And most nights that was just tearing up and setting up and tearing down and, and, and sending people home. But on this particular night, he had a very interesting experience. You need to know Dave is a young white kid from Mississippi, 140 pounds soaking wet. So he's this little guy, um, or at least little standing next to me. Um, he's this little guy. And he hears in the distance this man who's literally screaming. Dave begins to look around. People are a little distracted because they, they're the method of evangelism where they would show the Jesus movie there in these little villages. So people were watching the movie and then all of a sudden kind of being distracted. And Dave began to look around and he heard the noise and he thought to himself, Lord, I hope, hope that doesn't come our direction. I don't know what that is, but I hope it stays away, but it doesn't. And slowly, this 300-pound beast of a man comes into their village. And this man is known by the locals to be this demon-possessed man who usually when he comes, you just got to get out of his way. So this man begins walking, and David, you could see, Dave, you could see the fear in the white of his eyes. And he cried out to the Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the Lord spoke back to him and said, love him. Dave's thinking, that's not much help. So he, 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 he's sitting there wondering and praying, and, and this guy is coming, and by now this guy has gotten into the village, and he's literally throwing over their chairs. Mothers are grabbing their children, and the people are looking at Dave, who's the sergeant of arms, and looking at him saying, what are you going to do about this? And once again, he cries out to the Lord. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he, Dave would stand here and tell you, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, Dave, love him. So out of fear and out of anxiety and out of faith, he, he, he takes off and he runs straight at this guy and he wraps his arms around him and he begins to scream in his ear, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. True story. Man, his body went limp in Dave's arms. The man began to cry profusely. Later that night, they would gather around missionaries and they would translate and they would tell this man the story of God's love. They would tell him the gospel. And this man received Jesus Christ as his Savior. This 300-pound beast of a man, strong in spirit, now broken in spirit. This 300-pound beast of a man, arrogant, proud, hardened of heart. Now the calluses washed away by the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, we are that man. Nearly 2,000 years ago, a young missionary came to this earth, and when no one else would deal with us, when no one else could help us, when no one else could fix us, when no one else could save us, Jesus Christ ran. He wrapped his arms around us, and he says, I love you. 
this much and he marched up a hill called Calvary. He was placed on the cross. He took nails in his hands. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. But early on the third day, he rose with all power over sin and death. And he won victory over the grave. And he looks at you and I and he says, come. He says, come. And watch this. He says, come. And your righteousness isn't good enough, so you can't come in on your righteousness, but my righteousness is here. So come and sit in my righteousness. Rest in my righteousness. And you think, I don't deserve to be here. I've done all of these things wrong. I've done, if you could just see all the stuff I've done. He says, I've seen it and I loved you anyway. Because there's something called grace. And grace means you get what you don't deserve. So come and you sit in my righteousness. And as I resp- in our response to the greatness of the glory and the grace of God, our will, we sacrifice it for his will. And our spirits are broken before an almighty God. And our heart, who at times have grown calloused and hardened to the things of God, that grace washes those hard places removes the stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And in that place, with our eyes centered on God, we place our affections not on the things of this world, but we place our affections on God and God alone. And with God enthroned on our heart, there's no longer idolatry And with idolatry gone, there's no longer adultery. Did you get that? Because when there's no idolatry, there's no adultery. That was pretty good. That was a good theological truth right there. I'm going to try that again on this side. When the affections of your heart are centered on God and God alone, there's no longer idolatry in your life, there will be no adultery in your life. Amen? The heart has to be exposed. The heart has to be turned to God and God alone. And finally, the heart has to be guarded. The heart has to be guarded. Matthew turns the corner, uh, talking about adultery, and then he says... If your right eye causes offense, gouge it out. Then he says, if your, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And not only cut it off, but throw it away. Like, well, we can't just keep it for a couple of days just in case God want to heal it or something. No, he says, cut it off and throw it away. And if you're thinking anything like me, you're thinking, wow, that's a brutal That's a brutal sacrifice. Yeah, it is. And notice that this isn't isn't cut off. This isn't do whatever you have to do so you can work harder to save yourself. No, 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 no. This is is cut off because I'm here in this place of grace that I've been extended to by the righteousness and the power of God. And before I leave, before I allow any lust to lure me away, I'll cut it off if it'll come at the expense 
of this place of grace that God has provided for me in my life. Do, do you see that? So yeah, so I'll make brutal sacrifices so that I don't have to leave this place of grace that the gospel has prepared and made for me to live in and dwell in. I don't have to live like that anymore. And before I go back to living like that, I will make brutal sacrifices. If that means I have to cut things off, if that means I have to cut people off, I'll gladly do it before I cut my God off. Do, do you see the difference there? Now, obviously, we're not talking about go do physical mutilation. We can see in the scripture people have tried that and it doesn't work. You can gouge your eyes out, blind men still lust. And you'll get that on the way home. It's, like it's still, it's an internal thing. It's still lust. It's not about that. It's like a friend of mine. Brother in ministry, seeking God with all his heart. Pornography, he just couldn't stop. So we tried different things, you know, little protection plans, different things like that. It didn't work. So finally, we just had to cut it off. We said, okay, you can't have a computer in your house. Man, I can't do email, can't go on internet. No, nope. you have to be cut off. Lest you run the risk of eternal separation between you and your father. Before, we, before you lose your soul to hell, you'll lose this computer and you'll lose email. Hey, that rhymes. Before you lose your soul to hell, you'll lose email. I like that. That's a, that's a t-shirt waiting to happen. I like that. I like that. I like that. So he didn't have a computer in his house. He cut it off. And of course people come over and say, man, you don't have a computer. Oh, come on, don't be so legalistic. Don't be so extreme. Oh, you're too much. No, no, no. This is what it takes for me to live. There's another friend of mine in college. Uh, guys will be sitting around and, you know, guys in college, they'll sit around and the young lady will pass by and the guys will just start talking about how attractive the young lady was. If I'm sitting there, I never made comments because I was just thinking of my future wife to come in those moments. <laughs> oh, she's coming, Lord. She's coming. But, you know, I would hear them say that stuff, you know. So that, that, was, that was a guy in our group, Christian guy. We were all Christians. It was a guy, whenever a conversation would begin to turn in that direction, he'd get up and walk away. And, you know, we weren't saying, well, they weren't saying anything, you know. Uh, we were just talking about, but he'd just get up, he'd walk away. And to be honest, we made fun of him. We're like, oh, come on, man, lighten up, loosen up, don't be so extreme, come on. As we got to know him, Vernon began to tell us that I really struggle with this area. This is, and I've made some huge mistakes in my life. And Albert, I can't afford to go back and make those same mistakes. So I realized I've got to make brutal sacrifices so that I don't fall back into the same pits that I used to fall in. So y'all can call me square, make fun of me, do whatever you want. But when, that, when y'all start talking about that kind of stuff, I can't go there. I don't watch rated R movies. I don't do anything. I have to get up and I have to leave because that's what it takes for me and my God to stay in sweet communion and fellowship with one another. You, you, you see it? The idea isn't if, if I work hard that I can keep myself. No, 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 no. I separate myself from anything that will take me away from this place of grace. Alcoholics will tell you. He says, come on, man, just have one drink. He says, that's the problem. I, can't, I don't want one drink. I want ten drinks. I've never been an alcoholic, but I can relate because that's how I feel about Ruffles potato chips. <laughs> I don't want just one chip. You know what I mean? I want two bags of chips, you know? If I could just have one chip, I wouldn't have this problem. You know what I mean? I want the chips with the melted cheese when you put them together. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. 
point is, James says, you're you're drawn away to sin by your own lust. What is James saying? James saying, you got lust, I got lust, all God's children got lust. The question is, do you know what your lusts are? You, You have to know yourself. Let me give you one more final challenging thing. You can't fully know yourself, especially in the areas of lust and sin, or really any other area for that matter. You can't know yourself in isolation. You have to have a community of believers around you so that you can help, so you can be helped to see yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? When I was learning how to drive, I, I, I probably told you about this. I learned how to drive. My dad was teaching me how to drive, and I made a right change of lane really, really quick. But I looked around. I checked my mirrors. I did everything. But this car just came out of nowhere. I said, well, Dad, what was that? He said, well, Albert, you can check the mirrors. You can look around for yourself. But there's something called the blind spot. And it's hard for you to see on your own. Brothers and sisters, we all have blind spots in our life. And we can't work out this stuff in isolation. We get in community so that way brothers and sisters in love can help us to see our blind spots, can help give us accountability, and to help us cut things off and people off when they see them leading us astray. That's why the family of God is absolutely necessary and cannot be replaced by watching TV at home and watching a sermon online. No, no, you have to come together and have fellowship with the body of Christ because it is in that place where we are blessed by the gift of accountability and love that shows up in the body and in the family. Amen? The heart has to be exposed. The heart has to be turned to God, centered on who he is. And the heart has to be guarded. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the God of peace will give you a peace that passes all understanding, and he will guard your heart and your mind for his glory. Amen.